Hello, it's Melissa here with the Biswell Podcast, and today I'm excited to introduce a special guest, all the way from the East Coast, Morgan Kite. How are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. So we are talking about children's rights today, Yes. and Morgan is a badass, (laughs) groundbreaking woman that someday you're going to be, you know, on the list of all the women activists who changed the world and made a huge difference, and I'm so lucky you're here talking to me today, and I'll pull this back up in 20 years ago. I remember her when she was just starting. (laughs) Thank you. And so tell us about your organization. Well, no, tell us first about you. Yeah, sure. So I um, went to the University of Connecticut. I just graduated in May of 2020 into a giant global pandemic. Wouldn't highly recommend it. But um, UConn was awesome. I majored in human rights and communications. And while I was there, I had this really badass lady as a... um, poli-sci professor and she introduced me to Media Voices for Children which is the organization that I work for now and basically knew that I had interest in communications I've done a lot with film I do a lot of writing and graphic design and things like that and she knew that I also focused on women's and children's rights so Media Voices was kind of the perfect combination of those two things so I interned with them for a couple years and then was made a three years actually and then was made a board member this past year. So this is my first year into my term as a Media Voices board member, which has been great. <laughs> so take us back. What first got you interested in act, being an activist for children or women and people in general? Like what, what was that spark inside of you? That's a great question. I think that I always knew that no matter what I was doing, I wanted to be helping people somehow. I never had a quick answer as to like what I wanted to be when I grew up but it always was helping people. So I went through a quick stage where I thought I was going to be a doctor, but I hated science. (laughs) I went through a stage where I thought I was going to be a journalist. So I majored in journalism. And then I realized that I was writing about all these issues and the people who were doing things to help them, which is so important. And I don't mean any shade to journalists or um, anything like that, but I wanted to be there on the ground floor doing things to make a difference in these issues. And so I got involved with the human rights program at UConn, which has been really great. They've actually, I work with them now in my capacity as a board member. Uh, They are helping with the curriculum, which I'll talk about a little later. But yeah, they were a great connection. And I've always been, um, you know, an uber feminist and very into women's rights and Children's rights are everyone's rights, and it should be everyone's issue. So I think that those led into each other very well. Absolutely. So is there a story that sticks out, someone that you helped early on, or even, and maybe we'll get to it later on when we talk more about media voices, but is there a story of someone that really touched your heart that you've helped in your journey so far? I spent time in South Africa very early on in college. I went there for a month and I kind of realized how interested I was in the way different people live and the way different kids have a different childhood around the world. So I'd say that was probably a defining moment. And then also I was always, always, always a camp counselor. I was always working with kids. I was um, volunteering with IOH, which was instructors of the handicapped all through high school. I was teaching private swim lessons. I was always somehow helping kids in some way. And like, that was like my happy place. So I think that 
giving kids a childhood, getting kids outside became something I was really passionate about. And then my trip to South Africa, um, my work with Read for America and Teach for America and all those things sort of like underlined that for me. So fun. So yeah. tell us more about Media Voices for Children and what what's their mission and how are they helping little ones? Yeah, Media Voices for Children is a really awesome nonprofit that um, I'm a big fan of, obviously. <laughs> they make films and documentaries advocating for children's rights. So they're a member of the Child Labor Coalition and their big focus is on child labor and children's rights, as I said. So what they do is they are big on bringing awareness to these issues that are taking place abroad and then taking active steps against them. So not only are they making documentaries and movies um, advocating for kids and telling people about these causes, they're also funding projects like the Kenyan Schoolhouse Program, which um, has gotten hundreds of kids through school that wouldn't have had access to it otherwise. They are funding um, a curriculum building program. And so they do a lot of really great work. They're based in Martha's Vineyard. And we are a very small team of very dedicated individuals who have other jobs, (laughs) but um, are trying to do our best. Cool. Yeah. So child labor, you know, it's probably not something we talk about here in the United States and it's more prevalent uh, overseas for people who have been living under a rock and don't have any background. Like, give us a little bit of color as to what that looks like for most underserved countries and how they put children in their workforce and what's the common or the average age for a child getting into that. Sure. So child labor is considered five to seven or five to 12 and then hazardous child labor is an issue from 12 to 17. So that's kids driving things like forklifts or being put in um, inhumane situations. But there are 150 million children who are working instead of going to school. And that's worldwide. And actually, it's a pretty common misconception that it doesn't happen here in the U.S. because it does. There is a lot of um, child labor that happens in agriculture here. There are many loopholes. Oh, wow. Um, So a lot of people don't know and write it off as something that happens abroad. And it does. It's, it's very prevalent abroad. Um, but we have it right here at home. So if you watch a really good film to watch, it's called The Harvest. You'll learn a lot about how migrant farm workers are treated in this country. You'll learn a lot about child labor in this country. Um, but if you want to learn more about child labor abroad, I would actually recommend Media Voices documentaries. So you can look on MediaVoicesForChildren.com and watch The Same Heart. You can watch Rescuing Emmanuel. You can watch my personal favorite and our most recent, which is Children of Balashram. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's an issue that millions of kids deal with. So we see everything from kids being chained to workstations and working on textiles or light bulbs and to migrant farm worker children who can't go to school anymore because they move so much to go with the crops, right? So it really depends on where you are and what children are put up to. But it's sad because child slavery is so prevalent and it's not talked about because kids are forgotten about. Kids don't have a voice in government. Mm -hmm. Kids don't have um, an advocate if they're someone who, you know, is in, say they're in another country or say their parents um, come from a place where they can't provide for them. A lot of times it's like, I'll take your kid to the city and I'll give them a better life than what you can. And that kid ends up dying because they are then chained and not fed and forced to work. 
heartbreaking and that's obviously right at this time in the news right now with a lot of kids coming to the border from South America and other places and and you're probably right I'm naive to think that or thinking that it doesn't happen in our country and obviously it does you know we just don't talk about it we don't see it I mean there have been times throughout the neighborhoods I've lived in and I've seen uh, people come in doing the gardening work and they'll bring a Mm -hmm. small not small I wouldn't say five or seven but probably a 10 year old 12 year old and it, it does cross my mind sometimes I think Hmm. Did he already go to school in the morning? And now he's just helping. He's right. probably not going to school at all, yeah. and it's that it's very sad. And it's not you either. It's not. It's not even a naive thing. It's just um, something that is not talked about. Like once in a while, you'll see a sixty minutes. I'll get emails and text messages because people know that I'm talking about this stuff all the time. So I'll get text messages or emails like, "Oh, this news story broke. How terrible it's happening in like India. Like all this stuff. Like I can't believe this. What?" Can we do and I'm like yeah I mean we've known about this forever like it just is horrible and it's happening everywhere but it's sad so people don't want to talk about it and people mm-hmm. don't want to focus on it and even the Department of Labor you can they have great resources um, you can go on and learn about um, where your products are coming from whether there's forced labor or child labor in their background but they don't have a spot for the US like you can't even click to see what happens in the US so it's interesting. That is interesting because I was going to ask you so much, you know, what we consume and what we buy. Mm-hmm. If it comes from overseas or here in the U.S., it would behoove us to look into where things are purchased and, right. and find out, do they use child labor? But you're saying in the United States, they don't even have record? They they have record for other countries and where we're importing from. But if you go on to see, okay, like, where is my fruit coming from in the U.S.? You can't click, is there forced labor or child labor in the background here? Because we are not a member of the um, Children's Rights Convention, which is a huge issue in the child labor and children's rights field. So we have not signed on. And people say it's because, oh, we have our own systems protecting children. But um, it would require us to come out with these updates and add to these lists every year. So there's we're one of two countries that are not in the Children's Rights Convention. Um, it's kind of a country. I don't know off the top of my head. I think it's like sort of embarrassing to Somalia say. or something like wow. that. Like, but yeah, we're one of two, and it's it's wild that we can't do that. But if you are starting your journey into learning more about children's rights and child labor. Some things I would recommend. Um, download the Sweat and Toil app. It does come out by iLab, which is run by the Department of Labor. But um, you can click on a country and then see what products from that country have child labor or forced labor in their background. Or you can click on, like, say you're at the grocery store and you're buying bananas. And you can put in bananas and see where, okay, I don't want to buy these because they're from here or whatsoever. So Sweat and Toil app is really awesome. And since this is a business podcast also, um, and Slavery Now is business practices. So they have an app that's for businesses looking to um, help end their involvement with child labor, which is really cool. Wow. Well, those are two. Say those two apps one more time. Sweat and Toil and End Slavery Now. Sweat really and good Toil. Really good resources. End Slavery Now. Yeah. End Slavery Now is more of an organization, but they have an app okay. as well. Yeah. And you mentioned child labor and forced labor. So why don't we explain what are the two differences for people who may not be aware of that? Sure. So um, child labor is more of when you're young. So ages 5 to 14. And kids are forced into work, right? So, but it's technically not, it's forced child labor if the kid is not getting paid at all, which is often the case, right? But it's child labor if the kid is getting paid like a dollar a day. 
<laughs> you oh. know, um, or it's mostly not a dollar a day. Like there's kids picking onions in the United States that their whole family makes a dollar a day. You can read in the most recent Media Voices magazine, you could see a picture of a girl who was there from dawn till dusk with the flu. So she had a fever of like over a hundred picking onions and her family, whole family would go home with a dollar. Ugh, yeah. It's just tragic. Well, you know, and on one sense, I think, you know, that dollar is something that's going to get them somewhere. And they that's why probably why they're doing it. On the same token, it's just a tragedy to know that kids are so young or just having to go through this. And yeah, their families. It's not just the child, right? It's probably the family mm-hmm. who has to put their child out there because they can't even afford to. to yeah, eat. exactly. It's horrible. It really is. So back to Media Voices for Children. Yes. So we know about what they're doing. And if people want to help or get involved, how, how can people get involved? Well, like as I mentioned, we're a very small organization. So things like following us on Instagram or following us on Twitter, or retweeting things, supporting our projects, those make a really big difference at an organization like Media Voices. But um, the best thing you can do, honestly, is donate. I know a lot of nonprofits say that all the time, but it makes a big difference. If you add yourself to our subscriber list, you will get our magazine every few months or so, and you'll get a monthly newsletter with every, all the work that we've been up to. But um, people's donations, they don't realize you put your money where your mouth is and it goes a long way, especially with organizations in the Child Labor Coalition, um, smaller organizations that are committed to the cause, uh, your dollar makes a big difference. Absolutely. And you're humble and you didn't mention that you're the editor and you write for your magazine. So tell us about the last few uh, magazine covers and what you featured and some of the stories. So I am the editor and art director for Media Voices Magazine. And it was actually, I came to them a long time ago because they were sending out these emails that were like interesting and informative, but not fun to look at. Right. And so I was like, all right, what if we came out with something that was like informative and fun to look at and beautiful. Right. So it's like a resource for people. Because I had already come out with an action kit for them, which you can um, see on our website online, and it has a lot of resources. But the magazine was something that could be more consistent and could feature voices besides our own. Because we are, you know, seven board members, and we are overwhelmingly um, white New Englanders, right? So that is not something that I feel is a reliable news source. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this way we can feature people from all over, which I think is awesome. So... Our last few editions of the magazine, I've gotten to speak to indigenous youth activists. Um, There's in our last audition, there was a woman named Shaquana Sebastian, who's a Mashantucket Pequot youth leader. And she's just like awesome. We talked to um, Kakashan Basu, who is a Canadian um, Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient who wrote for the last edition of the magazine and is just an absolute badass. (laughs) And like... I get to speak to all these young activists who are doing work for children's rights and get to feature their work and pay them to write for us. So I think that it has been really um, eye-opening for me to get to give people another platform to get their voices out, to get their stories heard. And I've loved, I've loved writing for the magazine. A lot of my, I tend to be a little bit, um, I don't know if the word is naive, but I always tend to go towards hope, right? Yeah, so absolutely. In children's rights and in child labor, it's really easy. And, you know, in the world in general, it's really easy to fall into this trap of like, everything's horrible and we can't do anything. It's terrible and the world's going to crap. But 
when you speak to all these activists and these young people and these um, people who have been in it for years too, there's such a hope there that things are changing and um, there's such good work being done that the magazine has been a really good reminder of, okay, like people can do beautiful, wonderful, life-changing things, you know? So that's been really great working with the magazine and talking to new people and meeting new people. I really enjoyed that aspect of it for sure. Um, It's beautiful. So I've had a chance to browse through the magazines and the covers and the photos and just the stories are amazing. So we'll put all of this in the show notes so people can click on it and go there and check out your work as well as these stories and, and you're an inspiration for sure. And I love that you're focused on hope. Like you said, a lot of people just go down the rabbit hole of what's wrong with the world and everything's bad. Mm-hmm. And you've got to focus on hope. It's Without very hope, easy to do. One of my favorite videos ever is um, when Gari Matai, she has this whole video called The Hummingbird Story, right? And she tells this like popular story about there's like a wildfire, right? And all the animals in the forest just sit there and kind of watch it. Um, but this one hummingbird goes and like gets a little bit of water and then drops it on the fire, gets a little bit of water and drops mm-hmm. it on the fire. And all the animals are like, what are you doing? Like, you're so small. You can't do anything. It's not going to make a difference. And the hummingbird like doesn't even stop, keeps picking up the water and just says, I'm doing the best that I can. And I think that's all we can do, you know, is do the best that we can. Pick issues that you care about a lot. And honestly, check where your peanut butter is from. Check where your chocolate is coming from. Check to make sure it's fair trade. Like those things make a huge difference. Yeah. And what one person at a time. Yeah. And if everybody, if everybody does their best and their part, then it will make a huge impact. And if everybody demands um, change from corporations, that's what makes the difference. So you can check your chocolate. Com- chocolate is a huge one, especially because it's around Easter right now. It's around holidays. Um, chocolate's big. It's a really big issue. If you look for that fair trade certified um, thing on your it's a seal on a lot of chocolate. It's on coffee. Those are two of the biggest problem sectors in child labor. Doing things like that makes a huge difference because if you keep buying all fair trade, it's going to be easier for them to go, okay, well, fair trade. Like Nestle and Cargill right now are involved in a court case in the Supreme Court um, that not a lot of people know about. They're trying to argue that because they use child slaves abroad and not the U.S., they, can be tr- they can't be tried for it mm-hmm. in the U.S., um, which obviously is wild. Cargill, C A R G I L L, the worst company of all time. <laughs> all right, Nestle and Cargill. Yeah, so they're being tried for. Um, they're trying to say because we use child slaves in Cote d'Ivoire, we didn't like we don't have to be tried for it here, held accountable for it. So you can read about that in our most recent edition of the magazine. Also, I love that. I can't wait to put that in so everybody can go and check it out, and then maybe we'll look for the fair trade. Steal, and we'll put that in the show notes too so people can visually see what they should be looking for when they're shopping. Absolutely. There's also a slave free buying guide um, that is linked in our action kit, which you can put below too. Um, Slave free buying guide is a great resource too for people to start. This has been so informative and thought provoking, right? I, you know, not even thinking when I go out and buy my chocolate to be thinking about these things. So, Mm -hmm. super informative. If people want to connect with you, either social or email, how can they find Morgan Kite? 
of course. You can find me on Instagram at Morgan with two N's underscore K-E-Y-T. Um, I'm private, but follow me if you want to. And then if you want to email me for Media Voices related questions, I'd love to hear them. Um, I'm always here as a resource for people. It's Morgan underscore K-E-Y-T at UConn, U-C-O-N-N dot E-D-U. People can find you. Yeah, come ask me questions. I'm here to talk. So the last question I have for you is fast forward 25 years from now. What does your activism look like if you, you know, could paint the perfect picture of, of how you're impacting the world and making a difference? And what would that look like? That is a great question that I'm not sure I have an answer to yet. I know that I want to be helping kids somehow. Mm-hmm. I know that I want to provide a safe space for women and children. And I think that it has to do with getting kids outside and getting them in control of their own like leadership capabilities. Because to be honest with you, the biggest um, drive, like kids are the one thing we all have in common. So as long as my activism goes to like teach people that, I think that that is considered a success for me. Because if we can realize like, Nobody wants a starving kid. Everyone has different political views and that's fine. But we all have our love for children and our hope for children to grow up and have good lives and have a good childhood. That is something we can all agree on. So if my activism goes to try and unify people in that cause, then I'm happy with it. It will. Thank I know you. it will. Thank we're, you. We're blessed to know you. I Thank you for it. stopping by the Baseball Podcast. Of course. Love to be here. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon, Morgan.